You're listening to the Banner Church Podcast. Thank you so much for listening. For more information, visit us online at thebannerchurch.com. What a great job by our worship team, amen? I'm just constantly so blessed by the everybody who serves here and is a part of the team here. I know, man, with with COVID and, well, it just being the summer and 50% of the people gone already before a pandemic, uh, you know, I think we, we talked as a team, you know, okay, what are we going to do? Do we need to, like, cut down on this and this and this? And I just said, man, I, I just think we have people that love to worship here. And so we're just going to keep worshiping, and we're going to keep praising the Lord. And uh, so I just, I thank you guys. Thank you, worship team. Thank you, Alec, for organizing everybody and leading. And it really, you know, it's a lot. Uh, if you talk to anybody who's leading teams right now, they would say it's really unique <laughs> scheduling. But we're just constantly, I told someone, and I've been telling people, we're like, uh, we're like pivoting. Like we have the ball. We got our we got our pivot foot here. This is the mission of God. Everything else just kind of like moves. <laughs> we're just we're moving. It's like all right. This week it's this. This week it's this. And you know what? If something happens next week, guess what? We're gonna do. We're gonna keep one foot planted in the mission, and then we're gonna pivot. And we're just, you know, we we don't get stressed about that because we know that the hope of Jesus is is real and alive, and so we just do everything we can. Um, to everybody watching online, we're so thankful that, you know, you're here joining us, and man, it really is a blessing to be here this morning. I'm excited for a couple things. Um, this week on the 15th, uh, we're doing a conversation uh, on race and Christianity. I've noticed there's a lot of conversations happening about race in this country, and we really felt like it was necessary to sit down and have a conversation on what does Jesus say? Um, that's that really matters to us. Uh, how does Jesus value people? How does he care for people? What does he say about uh, justice and and inequality and equality and all these things? So we're doing that on the fifteenth. You might have seen it if you follow us on social media. You might have seen that we're asking for questions. We're gonna get all the. It's a Q and A, but we're gonna get all the questions beforehand because we want to be really uh, clear on our answers. Mostly because there's um, not a lot of forgiveness in the world right now when it comes to answering these questions. So I want to make sure that we answer them well. <laughs> Amen. Uh, so me and uh, my brother Marcus uh, Donaldson, we're going to be here and sharing. And that's on the 15th. And then on the 18th, that Saturday, we're going to go to our neighborhood right here with, you know, social distancing, mask, gloves, all that. And uh, we're going to start what we're calling Love the Block. And um, this is something we're going to be continuing all through the fall in one way or another. Hurting people still need care even in a pandemic. And so we have to get constantly creative in the means that we use. But there's a lot of people that need care and you know, help and all those kind of things. So uh, we've been loving on our town. We say I love this town because of the really generous uh, donations people have made into the care fund, and that continues to go out. And so we're just going to be the hands and feet, uh, and that, that'll that start really this week. So I'm excited. It's, it's a good week. Uh, this Saturday, I went to the lake with some people, and um, my face shows it. I can feel it in my face. Uh, <laughs> that the water was cold, but the sun was the same temperature. And it, and it has informed my face as of such, as of last night. Um, and, you know, I learned a valuable lesson. Well, not learned. Um, I was taught a valuable lesson. I'm not sure what I learned yet. Uh, which is that sunscreen is effective, but sunscreen does one thing. It fades, right? The, like, the number one rule of sunscreen is you have to reapply. 
Uh, or if you have, you know, my skin tone, I must reapply. Uh, any reappliers out there? You know what I'm talking about. What What's like the lowest you'll go? SPF 60? People say it doesn't work past 30. I'm like, well, it doesn't hurt past 30. So uh, they all feel like lotion. So we're going to 80. Uh, but uh, yeah, I went to the lake and, and I put some sunscreen on. And then, you know, I was out jet skiing. That's, that's the movement that you do on a jet ski. Mostly just move your butt back and forth. Um, and I came back in and I reapplied. Then I went out. And I came back in, I reapplied. I only did it twice. I probably should have like 8,000 times. It was a million degrees yesterday. This is, I should have preached a sermon on hell because I, pr I feel like we're all contemplating the brutal reality of an eternity, right? <laughs> you go outside, you're like, is this what it's going to feel? I don't want that at all. Um, <laughs> but uh, anyways, I was out at the lake jet skiing, and uh, my, my face is just so burnt. I got home, and I was like, oh, my gosh. What have you done, right? Have you ever got home from being in the sun and you've looked in the mirror and you're like, you're a grown adult. <laughs> These are things you should know by now. Like, you've lived in this body for years. How have you not figured out how it works yet? Like, you know? Uh, and, you know, that's kind of the rule of sunscreen is that you have to reapply, reapply, reapply. And even if you reapply all the time, the likelihood of getting burned is really high. See, what I should have done is we had set up at the lake a shelter. It was one of those, like, we had, like, three of those canopies. Like, we owned this little area. And a shelter. And by the end of the day, I went back and I went under the shelter because I was tired of getting burned. And the shelter is constant, right? Like, shade is shade. And it protects you from the sun. And so you don't have to reapply shelter. You just come under the shelter and you're fine, right? But if you're out in the sun, you got to reapply, reapply, reapply. But the hard part is, like, I don't know. A scientist would know this. I'm not a scientist. I don't know this. Uh... But I don't know how long sunscreen lasts. Is it half an hour? Is it 20 minutes? Is it 20 minutes? Is it like a scale? Like at 20 minutes it does this? Is it an hour? Is it an hour on a jet ski? I don't know. Is it an hour if you get dumped off a jet ski? Like I don't know what the ratio is for sunscreen. So I just have to keep applying hoping that it works. And as I was looking at myself in the mirror last night, knowing that I had to preach today, and picking out my loudest shirt to hopefully hide the color of my face, I, <laughs> thank you. My in-laws got it for me. <laughs> I've had this thought, isn't this so much of culture? That we're stressed out, that we're overwhelmed, that we're anxious, because we have arrested on things that fade. Here's what I mean. The, the, the things of this world are like sunscreen, they're an option for mitigating temporary uh, pain, but in long term, how often do we end up looking at the mirror at the end of the day going like, man, you're a full-grown adult. Have you not figured this out yet? Right? Have you ever spent the end of the day looking in the mirror? Okay, let me explain. Sunscreen. How many in our culture are just reapplying money in the hopes that it will have long-term benefits for your health? Right? Like, you're like, I'm just going to keep putting more money on this situation. If I keep putting more money on it, then I'll have hope and a future. Then I'll have security. Some of you are like, well, I don't have any money, so some money would be nice. And, and I would say, yes, money, paying bills, all that stuff is awesome, but it will not give you eternal contentment because I know plenty of rich, miserable people. And if you don't have money, you're like, how is that humanly possible? Trust me, it's possible. Because it's just reapplying the same thing that fades. At the end of the day, you still look in the mirror and you go, come on, man. What are we doing? 
right? In culture, we're, we're just reapplying the same news cycle over and over again. Like, if I just get enough information, then I'll be fine. I'll be safe. I'll be secure. If I just, like, watch another thing, do another thing, tweet another thing, then I'll be fine. Then I'll be secure. Then I'll feel good. Then I'll be able to go to sleep. And yet we, we then stand at the mirror at the end of the day. We look at our sunburn, and we're like, oh, my goodness. How many in our culture over and over were just reapplying, reapplying social media, reapplying, you know, we're just like, we see a vibe and an aesthetic and we want that. And so we're just, we don't address any of the discontent in our life, but instead we just go over and over and over and over again, just reapplying, reapplying. It, I don't know what it is for you, but culture has taught us to constantly reapply things that fade. I'll tell you how you know this. You have never seen a company have an advertisement that says, thank you for buying our product. Why don't you hold off for a year and just enjoy it, right? What Super Bowl ad is like, thank you for being a part of our organization. We appreciate that. Don't buy any more of our stuff. No, because everything in culture, if you're like, that exists, trust me. I've studied advertising. It doesn't. The culture that we live in today is this constant reapplication. But what happens is we don't know how long it lasts. Some of us, we rub SPF 60. Some of us, it's 15. Some of us just want a tan. So we're rubbing in things we know aren't going to do anything because we're just miserable anyways. But the problem is that they all fade. But over here is this beautiful shelter, this covering that is for us, that is meant for us, that is secured for us, that is staked down in the ground, that we are instead called to come under the covering, under the shelter of the Most High God. And in coming under the shelter and under the covering, we receive something that doesn't fade. We receive something that's constant. If you're like me, you get under that shade, you start feeling a little better, and you think, well, you know what, I'll just, I'll just head out. Just like one more, one more, like, like another four and a half hours in the sun, I'll be fine, right? And then I just kind of reapply. In culture, I do that. I get under the shelter for a while, I start feeling like, man, I feel close to the Lord. What if I just threw myself into my work? Right? Reapply, reapply, reapply. If I just worked harder, then I'd feel better. I'd feel like a better husband. I'd feel like a better father if I just worked harder. And God's over here like, why don't you just come under the shelter? Right? And our culture is built like that. It, if you look around right now, we're in a race to see what we can apply to our lives to make us feel secure. And yet nobody seems secure and everybody seems stressed out. And so John writes in 1 John chapter 2, we're in our series Real Love for Real Life. John writes in 1 John chapter 2, and he's trying to say, don't cling to the things that fade. Stop this brutal cycle of reapplication and come under the shelter that remains. Because he's saying, listen, I'm not knocking, you know, the being successful. I'm not, I'm not putting these things down. I'm saying, if that's your goal, I'm going to survive based off application of temporary things. At the end of your life, at the end of your day, you're going to be standing there looking in the mirror going, what have we done? We're still just as burned. But to come under the shelter, there's hope, there's healing, there's life, there's restoration, there's a, there's a truth that remains because God remains. And so he, he writes this uh, scripture here, teaching and speaking to the church. 
And he's speaking to them as a loving father. If you were here when I shared about John, he was one of the sons of thunder. That was a nickname Jesus gave him. We talked about how you really only give nicknames to people you really love or really don't. And so Jesus gave them, he gave them a nickname, sons of thunder. And uh, he was a very boisterous person. Uh, but now John in his older years, he's much more gentle uh, because he's had a friendship with Christ and a friendship with Christ transforms you. So here he is writing and he says this, First John 2, 15. Go ahead and pull your Bible. Uh, if you're with me, say amen. Amen. First John, it's at the back of your Bible. If you're, if you're going paper, uh, if you're going uh, online, just scroll or click. It's right there. It says this, do not love the world or things in the world. If anyone loves the world, the love of the Father is not in him. For all that is in the world, the desires of the flesh and the desires of the eyes and the pride of life is not from the Father, but is from the world. And the world is passing away along with all its desires, but whoever does the will of God abides forever. Okay, give some context here. Before this, John is talking about how darkness, he says darkness is passing away and the light has begun to shine. He's saying, listen, Jesus has come. He's died for your sin. He's taken all the sin and shame away. And he's risen again in victory. And he invites you into that victory. So the, the, the days of darkness, the days of evil, they're numbered. It might seem like they're winning on the scoreboard today. But the days of darkness are numbered. I don't know. And sometimes I think maybe, church, we forget this. That Jesus already won. Like he did it. It's not like, man, I hope Jesus comes well, I hope he comes back. You ever, I don't know if you've had that week. Like, all right, Jesus, just come. Come on back. I'm good. <laughs> Let's go. Let's all go to heaven. <laughs> uh, but that Jesus has come. He's brought life and hope for us and victory, and that we're called into that victory. If you didn't know that, Jesus loves you so much that he died for you after living a perfect life, rose again into victory, then looked into your life and said, come on, let's go. Let's go live in victory together over sin and shame. And you're like, well, I have a lot of shame in my life. It's like, well, is the person who's shaming you, you whether that's you or someone else, are they more powerful than someone who defeated death, hell, and the grave? No? Great. Then come on, let's go with Jesus. Well, let's live in the victory. Amen? And so he's saying, John is saying, listen, live in the victory that you've received. Live fully in the victory. And so then he offers this guidance, kind of as this like hard stop. Like it's like very, it's like poetic and beautiful. And then he just kind of like stops, like he really wants to clarify. And that's First John 2.15. And, and it's kind of a, abrupt because he's being very poetic. Then he says, do not love the world or things in the world. You're like, whoa. And some of you, when you read that, you're like, you know what? I haven't been in church very long, but I thought there was a scripture that said God loved the world. God been to football games. They hold up that sign, right? John 3, 16, For God so loved the world that he gave his only son, that whoever believes in him should not perish but have eternal life. You're like, wait a second. So God gets to love the world, but I don't get to? That seems kind of unfair. It's important. He's talking about two different things here. He's talking about the world in two different contexts. When it says, for God so loved the world, in John 3, 16, for God so loved the world that he gave his one and only son, that whoever believes in him shall not perish but have eternal life, he's saying it in the context of every person, every tribe, every tongue from every nation, right? God so loved everybody on this earth. When John is using the concept of the world, it's a different, uh, it's a different word. Uh, it, this wasn't written here in English, so we get the translation. But 
The word that he's using here is to describe the greater presence and evil of evil and sin in the world. Basically, when he's talking about the world, he's talking about the sense of the fact that the world is broken. So what, when he's saying do not love the world, but God loved the world, he's saying God loves all the people of his creation here in the world. And he longs for reconciliation and relationship. So therefore, someone's knocking on the door, rock and roll. Go around. The front door is open. We receive you in love. Amen. <laughs> um, he's saying, but God so loved the world, meaning that God loved all those all the people in the world, but he said, don't love the things of the world, meaning the sin and brokenness of a broken world, the things that would draw us away from God. So they're two different things. You with me? I know we were distracted. We're still together? Good? Good. Okay. So John is establishing two sides, the world, sinful desires, brokenness, and the Father, perfect, loving, welcoming, inviting, eternal. And he phrases it as two loves. In the scripture, he says, love of the world, love of the Father, two loves. And the word love, the word love, I think, is used in like a myriad of unique, uh, unique ways. But the way that it's being used here is this idea of like the pursuit of your life. It would be like uh, to love a spouse or to love a person or to love a child, right? Like it's in action, right? There's a there's a livability in it. It's putting my desire, my faith, my hope in this. So it's not like uh, posting nice things about them. It's to live in relationship, in pursuance. And that word is really important. Pursuit is different than perfection. Hear me. To love God is to pursue God, not to be perfect before him. Because if you assume you're supposed to be perfect in order to be near God, then you're always going to feel like a failure. Because I don't know you that well. Maybe some of you, if you're new here, you're watching online. But I'm going to guess that you're not perfect. I know enough people in here to say our ratio is high that none of us are perfect. I am not perfect. So I'm going to live my life feeling like a failure if I'm supposed to be perfect before God. Amen. But to love God is to pursue God to desire God. So he says there's the love of the world. What's the love of the world? The love of the world comes from the world, and he says it passes away. That's what John says. There's the love of the world, comes from the world, passes away. Then he says there's the love of the Father. It comes from the Father, and those who love the Father have eternal life. They live forever. Two very different things. Two different sides. And 1 John 2 15, if you jump back there, that first part I read, do not love the world or things in the world. He says this in the second part. If anyone loves the world, the Father is not in him. So there's these two loves, and he's showing a conflict here. And here's what he's trying to say. The heart cannot serve two masters. Okay, if you're taking notes, I want you to write that down, because it's important. The heart cannot serve two masters. He's saying the two of those things cannot coexist together. Lots of things can coexist together. Peanut butter and jelly, whew, that's a great coexistence. Amen, right? It's beautiful. Things you don't even expect. The other day, Alec had me cut a hot dog, put it upside down on a cheeseburger, melt cheese over it. They coexisted. It was beautiful. Two things. <laughs> it's very patriotic of him. <laughs> yeah. But two things that cannot exist together is the love of the world and the love of the Father. And it's not because you cannot try to choose them. It's just by the nature of what they are, they cannot live together, right? By the nature of what it is, it cannot live with itself. Are you following me? Like if I have fire and ice and I put them together, like some, there's going to be a reaction that's going to limit or affect the other one. Like they can't just both exist in the same space. 
right? So there's this idea that the loving the world leaves no place for the love of the Father. They're mutually exclusive things. This is what John's trying to make a point of. Matthew 6, 19 through 25 says this. I love Jesus is explaining don't serve two masters, and he does it by using money, which is very often the thing we are the most enslaved to. It says, do not lay up for yourself treasures on earth where moth and rust destroy and where thieves break in and steal. But lay up for yourselves treasures in heaven where neither moth nor rust destroys and where thieves do not break in and steal. For where your treasure is, there your heart will be also. The eye is the lamp of the body. So if your eye is healthy, your whole body will be full of light. But if your eye is bad, your whole body will be full of darkness. If then the light in you is darkness, how great is the darkness? Verse 24, he says, No one can serve two masters, for either you will hate the one and love the other, or he will be devoted to the one and despise the other. You cannot serve God and money. Therefore, I tell you, do not be anxious about your life, what you will eat, what you will drink, nor about your body, what you will put on. Is not life more than food and the body more than clothing? I love this because he doesn't say you cannot have both God and money. He says you cannot serve both God and money. You cannot serve both God and money. You cannot serve two masters. What does it mean to serve a master? It means to live in obedience of it, to make it the controlling, defining factor of your life. If something's like your, your master in the sense of being a slave to it, they, it has full authority over your life, right? And so he's saying you cannot serve two different things. In the message version uh, of that same passage of 1 John, it says, the love of the world squeezes out the love of the Father. Like it pushes it out. It says, there's no room for you here. It's not that God wants no place in your heart. It's just that often we've already occupied his room. And our heart says, God, there's no vacancy for you, but I'll let you know when something opens up. John says, no one can serve the world and God. You can't be subject to two masters. And, and again, John is t talking to a lot of false teachers who were teaching them, yeah, man, you've like already, you know, you've like heard of Jesus. You said a prayer one time, so just do whatever you want. Who cares, man? Like if God loved you, he would just let you do whatever you want. And John's saying, well, if God loved you, then he would teach you the things that would let you live out the fullness of that love. He wouldn't avoid you or ignore you. And so he's saying, listen, there's something important because these things you're being taught, they cannot coexist and live together. And this is what he says. Here's why he says why in 1 John 2, 16. He says, for all that is in the world, the desires of the flesh and the desires of the eyes and the pride of life is not from the Father, but is from the world. Here's the second thing. If you're taking notes, write this down. Your short-term memory can only remember seven things. I'm going to say like a million. So write down a few that you want to remember when you go. And then when Jensen says some good stuff too, write that down. The world's desires are opposite of God's character. The world's desires are opposite of God's character. It's not like there's these four options and they're all really close and it's like, uh, the world's desires are opposite of God's character. And, and he explains why. He says there's three desires, flesh, eyes, and pride of life. These three. Desires of the flesh. That when he says desires of the flesh, he's not talking about your skin, right? In like a hyper-puritanical sense. It's not like, see a lot of ankles and shoulders in this church. Desires of the flesh. <laughs> it's a lot of skin. No, not what he's talking about. 
uh, he's not talking about your skin. He's talking about your fleshly desires. It would be your sin nature, the carnal desires of man. You know what I'm saying when I say carnal? This like desire, yearning, craving to get what you want, how you want it for you, all mine, right? And we do it with everything. <laughs> we do it with jobs. Like, I want this. I want this thing. I want this money. We do it with money. We do it with people. We do it uh, with relationships. We do it with recognition. Just more, more, more. Got to have more. Got to have more. I want this. I want this for me. I want this for me. I think about this all the time. Like, I feel like God has given us everything we need to change the world, and yet how much of it is spent on us? Because we're just so carnal. We just want, I want more, I want more, I want more. I want more. Always hungry, never satisfied. Galatians 5, uh, 22 is a really famous scripture because it mentions the fruit of the Spirit. But did you know that that scripture is a contrast with the scripture that was right before it? They exist in contrast to each other, the, the, the world and the Father. Here it is. Now the works of the flesh, here's the contrast, are evident. Sexual immorality, impurity, sensuality, idolatry, sorcery, enmity, strife, jealousy, fits of anger, rivalries, dissensions, division, envy, drunkenness, orgies, and the things of life, things like these. I warn you, as I warned you before, those who do such things will not inherit the kingdom of God. And here's the contrast. But the fruit of the Spirit is love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, self-control. Against such things there is no law. And those belong to Christ Jesus have crucified the flesh with its passions and desires. So this is what's important. What I'm saying is not about perfection. You're like, well, I got angry once, so I guess that means I don't inherit the kingdom of God. Sounds like God's kind of mean. That's not what I'm saying at all. It's the desires, the pursuing, the, the pursuing of our flesh. Are you with me? That what it's saying is there's two sides. If you pursue the flesh, here's the fruit. If you pursue God, here's the fruit. Decide what fruit you want. You cannot pick to pursue one and get the fruit of the other. If you plant an orange tree, guess what you're getting? Oranges. If you plant a blackberry bush, guess what you're getting? Blackberries, right? Like, you can't go out to that blackberry bush and be like, why God? Why have you done this to me? blackberries. He's like, just plant, you planted the wrong thing in your life, <laughs> right? You eat the fruit of what you plant. So he's saying that there's this conflict, right? The desire of the flesh. It's not that God is saying, if you did these things, you suck and you're the worst. He's saying, listen, if you pursue this desire, this will be the fruit. But let me tell you, there's a better way. There's a shelter. There's a covering. There's a blessing, joy, peace, patience, right? How about self-control? Amen. He says, desire of your eyes is the other part. It's kind of part of the flesh, but it's different. He says, desire of our eyes. God is not anti-beauty. God uh, loves beautiful things. He made beautiful things. I'm very thankful that God made beautiful things. I'm assuming when Adam saw Eve for the first time, just naked in the garden, he's probably like, yes, right? Like, God made beautiful things, and that's okay. But he's not being anti-beauty. He's talking about this craving for what we see, that we are people who see things with our eyes and think, I want that, and I deserve that, and if I don't get it, I'm going to be depressed. If I don't get what I see, I'm going to be depressed. And I've thought that, like, oh, I really want that, and if I don't get it, I'm, like, so bummed. It's the desire of our eyes. I see it. I want it. I can't get it out of my head. I'm going to give everything to it, and I'm depressed if I don't get it. And God's like, that, that seems counter to what I'm trying to give to you. It's so temporary. And what happens is we get it, and we're just like, reapply. Here we go. Yes, this is what I want. And then it's like, 
why am I still getting burned out here? Because it's temporary. He also says the pride of life. That's kind of interesting because it sounds like quality of life, but that's not what he's saying. He's saying pride in possessions, basically arrogance in material possessions. I feel like he's just kind of describing our culture like, as, as a whole group right now. It's kind of like we base our uh, success in this life off of what we possess. And so there's a struggle that he's showing of this wealth that's used for personal pride. Again, God is not anti you paying your bills. Like, well, I just don't want you to pay your bills this month because then you won't trust me. Like, that's not how God works. We pray and ask God for, for provision. But again, he's saying, what are you pursuing? Are you pursuing a, a desire for the Lord? Or are you pursuing a desire for self-exaltation through wealth? John is going to later say in uh, verse 3, he's gonna, or chapter 3, he's going to say, By this we know, love, that he laid down his life for us, and we ought to lay down our lives for the brothers. But if anyone has the world's goods and sees his brother in need, yet closes his heart against him, how does God's love abide in him? Little children, let us not love in word or talk, but in deed and in truth. That's why we put our July 15th, talk about race and Christianity, right in front of our July 18th, reaching our community. Because if you come to that and say the church should do something, I'm going to look at you and say, yes, you should. That's how it works. That wasn't popular in the first service either, don't worry. I'm just wondering. But John says, those are desires of the world. I thought about this, and you guys remember that um, Gordon Greco scene, or Gordon Gecko scene, sorry. Gordon Gecko scene, where he gets up on the stock, and he's in that room with all the people. This is an older movie. Uh, and he gets up, and he's, and he's like, greed is good. And he gives this whole speech on greed is good. And I was listening to this uh, podcast the other day, and this guy was like, well, I think in some ways greed is good. And I was just like so blown away, like, greed is a sin, Right? Drive is good, like not being slothful, good, right? Working hard, those are, those are good things. But greed is, is this sin, and yet we've gotten to the place where we, we have these things that fly in the face of the gospel, and yet we're so exhausted and so longing for something that we'll literally, like, apply anything. Obviously, that's a movie, but, but like, I, I don't think that's too far off from reality, there's a reason we have constant housing crises. is because there are people who stand up and go, greed is good. Let's get what we can now. Greed is good. And John is saying, wait a second. There's a better way that these things we keep reapplying and keep getting burnt and reapply and keep getting burnt and go home and sit and look in the mirror and lay in bed and go like, what is going on? He says there's a better way. Romans 12, 2. Do not be conformed to this world, but be transformed by the renewal of your mind, that by the testing you may discern what is the will of God and what is good and acceptable and perfect. We need to be transformed. Transformed. Because what happens is so often we live with this mindset of life is too short. Life is too—I just got to get what I need. I know I'm, I'm, I'm under the shelter here, but it's so hard to be patient, and it's so hard to be gentle and gracious. I want to be angry. I want to get what I want to get. I want to do something for me. Just like treat yourself. You know, I want to do what I want. I want to go for—and and, and so we live in this tension of, of, of wanting to be under the shelter because we know in so many ways that it's good, but also kind of wanting to be over here and just reapplying and doing our thing and do what we want. We're just like, well, life is short, so get what you can when you can. 
And can I tell you, if you do not know Jesus Christ and you're saying you've lived with that life is short, work for the weekend mentality, I, I need to tell you, life is too short to hinge and rest your eternity on the back of dust. You can look through all of time and see that all money will pass away. See that all lives will pass away. To see that all governments will pass away. To see that all structures will pass away. And I'm not saying not to invest into those things. I'm just saying don't hinge your future on those things. Don't hinge your eternity on those things. That's a rough bet. I've had people say like, well, I just don't know. I'm like, well, are you willing to bet your eternity on it? And it leads us to this question. All these things that we love. I think we're, we're asking this question now. What happens when it's all stripped away? What happens when it's all gone? So many things of culture, I feel like, have been stripped away. We're like in our houses just sitting now. And we're like, oh, we hate this. I can hear my own thoughts. So many things. People lost jobs, family members. People have lost opportunity. People have lost futures. So many things. Brutal things. What happened what happens when it's all stripped away? I was reading part of this book um, by a man named Barnabas Mon, who was, uh, he's, he's a Christian. He's became an evangelist um, in Cambodia, but he became a Christian right before the very uh, tragically historic killing fields. If you're not aware of what the killing fields were in the growth of communism and uh, that portion of Asia and Mao's reign, there came in Cambodia Pol Pot, who is probably one of the most ruthless people in history, and his Khmer Rouge, which was this, uh, basically they murdered half of the country. And one of the people they targeted, one of the groups, was anybody different, and specifically uh, Christians. And they targeted Christians in uh, Cambodia and brought them into camps, and there was, I mean, massive devastation. I mean, if you read uh, anything on, on Mao, uh, I'm always concerned anytime we, we kind of forget history. You know, Mao Zedong killed 145 million people. Like, uh, anyways. But in this movement, he becomes a Christian, ends up getting taken to the camp. And I was reading this article about how when he gave his life to the Lord, all his friends knew what that meant when he chose to follow Christ. Could you imagine that? He chose to follow Christ knowing that if someone found out, he'd be taken to a camp and he'd be executed. Could you imagine living with that understanding? It'd be a lot easier to find kids workers. But he knew what it meant. He knew what it meant. And here's what he says. He says, three years earlier, this is before he was in the camp, before they brought him into one of the most brutal and sadistic, devastating places in history. He says, three years early, soon after I gave my life to Christ, several of my contemporaries came to visit me. Their agenda was transparent. They came to talk me out of my decision to follow Jesus. They even attended a Bible study with me, hoping to convince me of the folly of believing in a God they were persuaded did not exist. I was still a baby in the faith, but I knew there was a creator God and that he loved me. I was already bound to him by that love. I told my friends that if they could present someone to me who would love me and accept me like my God did, I would reconsider my decision. I asked them to search their experiences and their memories to see if a man or woman existed who could love as holy and sacrificially as Jesus. I challenged them to name a being who was worthy of human worship, one who was perfect by every possible measure. 
Yes, we know of someone, they said, and so do you. I had not known the truth about God for long, but this I knew. No one would love me like he did. No one. I waited to hear what they would say. Mao Zedong, they cried in unison. He is worthy. My friend's answer only saddened me. Eventually, eventually, they lived long enough for it to sadden them too. When all was stripped away, their human gods were exposed as frail, limited, imperfect beings. Their man-made system with all its corruption was likewise laid bare. All was stripped away, and the tragic truth revealed there was nothing there. Earlier I asked, what is left for Christians when culture is stripped away? This remains a hypothetical question until we experience loss. Then we know the answer faith gave us before the loss. God remains. I have many more stories that demonstrate God's favor in my life because I experienced such shocking loss. The story shock as well. They are nothing short of miraculous, but I do not want to make God's favorable actions towards me when I was in need the focus of my story. They are not. The central point of this drama is the God who shows favor, the God who walked with many of my brothers and sisters through the valley of the shadow of death and led them to a different destination of mine. They are now in his presence. They do not need the hope or the faith which my story speaks. That's because when all is gone, God remains. And what will see of him most clearly in that day is his love. He wrote that from one of the most brutal prison camps possibly in history. John says, the world is passing away along with its desires, but whoever does the will of God abides forever. Third thing I want you to write down if you're taking notes is God, or sorry, only God remains. Only God remains. The world is passing away along with its desires. You can reapply as many times as you want, but in the end, they will all fade. None of it is eternal. Hear me. Baseball will come back. I'm happy for that. I like sports. I'm excited. Baseball will come back. Sports will come back. Music will come back. It might be one year, five years, ten years. Events will come back. Schools will come back. Gatherings will come back. But I think we have sensed something happening in culture today is that we cannot count on it. I dare you to hinge the stability of your future on the stability of the world. I dare you to hinge and rest the security of your family on the security of this government. I'm not saying don't invest into it. I'm not saying don't pray for it. I'm just saying, do you really want to hinge your hope on it? Do you want to rest it on it? Do you think it's a strong enough platform to support you? Because all the time that's what I see is miserable people because they're resting the weight of their eternity on the back of a flawed person, a flawed ideology, a flawed purpose, even something that's really great like sports. I love sports, but you can't rest your future on it. Right? And I think what we're seeing right now is that everybody is trying to get secured in insecure things, and all that's just made us is really insecure. And we lay awake really insecure. Can I tell you, life is too hard to rest your now or your eternity on insecure things. And the amazing news is you don't have to. You don't have to. You can, but you don't have to. You can rest it on insecure things. I'm saying, like, go to baseball games, celebrate with people, go to weddings, celebrate all those things. Don't rest your future on them. Instead, get the joy of the world that God has created, but live and hope and love and pursue the Almighty God. 
you can find something that's going to soothe your anxiety for a moment, but it will not soothe your soul for an eternity. And I, I can just sense that. And I, I just feel like I, I want to call to you, church, if you're here, if you're online, just like John did to his church, and just say, don't trust in that which is going to fade. Take hope in him who's eternal. Because you lay your life at the foot of the cross. Maybe today you're going to come up here at the end of service and just lay your life at the altar and say, God, I need to be renewed today. Christ always embraces you with compassion. He doesn't go, yeah, but I saw what you did yesterday. It's going to be a no for me. He embraces you with compassion. He loves you. He secures you. Man, you can come up. One of my favorite songs is My Hope is Built on Nothing Less. Really classic hymn. Christ the solid rock I stand. I also like Rock of Ages. That's a great hymn. I have that tattooed on my back. <laughs> but on Christ the solid rock I stand. And really famous chorus, right? Christ the solid rock I stand. All of the ground is sinking sand. All of the ground is sinking sand. I just sing that to myself sometimes when I'm in bed. And all my thoughts are just flying around, and I'm trying to grab onto them, and I, like, can't quite get them. You know what I'm talking about. Just to the rhythm of that ceiling fan going around and around, I just hear that over and over. Christ is solid rock I stand. All other ground is sinking sand. But I love the verses of this. I want to read it to you today. It says this. My hope is built on nothing less than Jesus' blood and righteousness. I dare not trust the sweetest frame, but wholly lean on Jesus' name. When darkness veils his lovely face, I rest on his unchanging grace. And in every high and stormy gale, my anchor holds within the veil. His oath, his covenant, his blood support me in the whelming flood. When all around my soul gives way, he then is all my hope and stay. When he shall come with trumpet sound, oh, may I then in him be found, dressed in his righteousness alone, faultless to stand before the throne. On Christ, the solid rock I stand. All other ground is sinking sand. I've like held bills in my hand. I've held my children in my hand and sang that over their life. On Christ, the solid rock I stand. All other ground is sinking sand, but I stand upon you, God, because everything else is going to fade, but you remain. You remain. When everything is stripped away, what remains? God remains. The world is sinking sand. John would say it's passing away. Sinking sand is another way to say that. It cannot support your soul. It cannot sustain your joy. It cannot sustain your hope. It cannot sustain your peace. It will not give you eternal life, but Christ can. He says, I'm here to bring you peace. I'm here to bring you joy. I'm here to give you eternal life. It's time to find our security in Christ alone to turn to the cross and that love of the Father. It gives us eternal life. What does it mean to love the Father? What does it mean to love Him? It means to follow Him and obey Him and walk with Him in relationship, to pursue Him with our lives. It does not mean to be perfect, but to seek Him and His perfection, to pursue Him, to love Him. This is the way of the Father is through Christ. That's the gospel. This morning, as I look out culturally, and I look out in this church, or as I look out on our city, I see so much sinking sand. 
But just like John, I just I wish I could literally just gather everybody up. We can't hug right now, but we'll pretend that we did. <laughs> and I just want to embrace everybody and say, listen, cling to what remains. The love of God. The love of God. Everything else is going to pass away, but God remains. Would you stand with me this morning? I want to pray two things for you. There's two responses we, we have this morning. And we're going to have an altar time in just a second. Our band's going to play uh, one, of, one of my favorite songs, Build My Life, which I love. It's like the modern version of this song because it declares God's holiness. And it also says, God, I want to build my life on you. All other ground is sinking sand. I'm going to build my life on the rock. I'm going to rest my future on you. I'm going to rest my eternity on you, God. So there's two responses. We'll pray and then we'll worship together. I'm going to give you the option for both if you're in person or you're online. If you're online and I give a response, I want to encourage you to click that button for live prayer. So many of you that I talk to online are struggling with isolation, struggling with feeling alone. And can I tell you, you literally have the most access to prayer than any person in the church right now. One of these people would have to like turn to someone or come up. You could just be like, done, prayer. So I want to encourage you in that. But there's two responses. One of them is this, be born again. This morning, some of you this morning need to be born again. What does that mean? It means you've been, you've been birthed uh, from a parent, from a mother. But there's a spiritual rebirth that comes from the laying down of our old life and the walking in the resurrection of Jesus Christ to be born again, to begin life again. So the old is gone, the new has come. If anyone is in Christ, it's a new creation. And this morning... Maybe you've never experienced the love of God, but can I tell you, the love of God changes you. And maybe you've never made that choice. Jesus, I need to cling to you. I need to cling to what lasts. Would you reveal your love to me? And this is going to be your moment to say yes to Jesus. Maybe you're in this place and uh, you were born into it. You were born into uh, the, the kind of Jesus church world. And so you know enough to do the dance but it's not enough to help you sleep at night because you really have not given your heart and your life to him. Second Timothy tells us that in the end, there'll be people who have a form of religion, but they will not have its power. And some of you are like, I got a form of religion, but I don't have its power. I need to be born again. I'm gonna leave it to Jesus to sort out those details in your life. But can I tell you, there's never a better moment than right now to say yes to Jesus. Say yes to Jesus to repent of your sin before him, to receive his forgiveness, to pursue him in prayer, to pursue his word, to re release the love of the world and receive the love of the Father. Would you bow your heads and close your eyes with me this morning? If that's you and you're saying, I need to be born again this morning, whether you're here or you're online, and you're saying, I need to be born again this morning, this is your moment right here. Maybe you've had a form of religion even. But you're like, I'm not really walking in love with the Lord. I'm going to give you a chance to respond. I want to pray over you this morning, in person or online. If you're saying, I want to be born again, I just want to invite you right in this moment to say yes to Jesus and just raise your hand as a sign of saying yes to him today. I want to pray for you this morning. If you're online, please click that live prayer button so we can be praying with you as well. But God, I come before you this morning. 
And I thank you that every person who comes before you repents of their sin, receives salvation. Your scripture says, all who call on the name of the Lord will be saved. So we pray this morning, Jesus, for every one of those lives that has made that commitment, God. Maybe every one of those people that's had a form of religion, but has not walked out the fullness of that love. I pray right now that you would reveal your love to them in this moment, that you would reveal the depths of your love to them. And I pray that right now they would begin to walk in the miracle of salvation, that they would press into you, they would press into prayer. God, as they get connected uh, through our I Said Yes team, that they would press into your word and discover how deep and how wide and how rich your love is for them. In Jesus' name. Second thing I want to pray for you this morning. We're actually going to respond in an altar time. I know you're like, COVID altar time, wear your mask, come up, get filled up, right? If you didn't bring a mask, fine, just be distance. I don't care, but don't leave this place empty. But I want to pray. The first thing was be born again. The be born again. The second thing this morning is be renewed. Be renewed. Maybe you know this love, but turns out you've been real tired lately. And in your weariness, maybe you your heart has pursued other things. Kind of stolen that place. You're exhausted. Maybe you feel a little shame. Maybe you feel a little confused. And you're like, where do I go? What do I do? I don't even want to come forward because people are going to think things about me. It doesn't matter what people think about you. This is about grace and about freedom and about getting filled up. Can I tell you, the same God who saved you out of darkness can save you right now out of the dark night of your soul. He can lift you up out of it. He can renew you. He can strengthen you. Can I tell you, I was down here at the first altar like, God, I need more of you. I need to get filled up. I am exhausted, and I need to get renewed this morning, right? I'm here, Pat. I was up here. <laughs> so I'm saying that some of us this morning, not all of us, but some of us this morning, it's time to bring that weight to the altar and leave it here at the feet of Jesus. If you're watching online, you got to easy all of us. Kneel down in front of your coffee table and just say, Jesus, this is the altar today. It's symbolic of me bringing something to you, and I leave it, and when I get up, it stays here. It doesn't come with me. I stand in the renewal of your spirit. Leave everything at the altar and pursue him today. Be renewed. Philippians says, indeed, I count everything as lost because of the surpassing worth of knowing Christ Jesus, my, my Lord. For his sake, I've suffered the loss of all things and count them as rubbish in order that I might gain Christ today. I want to invite you to say, the altar is open for you to be renewed by God and leave the weight there. So I want to pray for you, and then I'm going to invite you to take that really bold step, extrovert, introvert, wherever you are, Take that bold step to come to the altar. We're going to pray for you this morning. The band's going to lead us. It's just, it's a you and the Lord moment. But I want to pray for you. God, right now you see these hearts that need to be renewed and you're moving on their hearts. Culturally, we, we struggle to get out of this moment. But God, I know that you want to do something. You want to do a miracle in some lives. You want to break off some burdens this morning. You want to release some change this morning. You want to give some encouragement this morning. We, we got some discouragement in this place this morning. I pray right now those discouraged people would not stay in discouragement, but they would bring it to the altar and leave it at the altar today. So I'm going to invite you in three seconds to make that move forward. One, if you're saying, I just need to be renewed today. And our band's going to lead us. One, if I just need to be renewed today. Two, if you're saying, Holy Spirit, I'm exhausted. I need encouragement. I need to leave some at the altar. Three, I'm going to invite you. Would you just come forward this morning? If you're saying, I need to be renewed this morning, would you just come forward? Find a spot right here. Spread out. Be spread out. And just wherever you find a spot, 
Say, God, I'm leaving this right here at the altar. And I ask, would you renew me? Would you strengthen me? As I press into your love, God, would I find the stability that comes from the security that is you? Would I find the stability that comes from you? And as we worship, I'm just going to invite you, just release those things to him. This is you and him, you and the Lord in this moment, you and Jesus right now. Let's worship him.